72 Voices is a project by 72 and Sunny, who are a creative accelerator with offices in Sydney, LA, Singapore, Amsterdam and NYC. This series champions the new generation of creative entrepreneurs in Australia. In the chats, we identify smarts and insights that we hope in some small way will inspire the next generation of Australian entrepreneurial success stories. Welcome to 72 Voices, the podcast series, with our CEO, Chris Kay, produced by our friends at Otis Studios. This week's chat is with Murray Herps, who is the Director of Entrepreneurship at the University of Technology, Sydney. The passion and energy that Murray has for the early stage ecosystem is palpable. Throughout his various industry roles, his single focus has been to inspire and drive the agenda for the entrepreneurial community. And his vision for where the country can continue to evolve on the world stage is energizing. He is a truly modern thinker and chatting with him was an absolute learning experience and pleasure in equal measure. I hope you enjoy our chat as much as I did. Awesome, well, welcome. And thank you for coming in. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. Oh, it's good to be here. Awesome. And uh, let's start with a question that we ask everyone, which is first, who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Murray Herps. I'm the Director of Entrepreneurship for UTS. And, and what does that mean, Murray? Uh, it means I say the word entrepreneur about 100 times a day, <laughs> <laughs> which is annoying because it, it means a different thing to every person. Uh, and it, it tends to not mean good things to Australians. Uh, but my job is to inspire and support people at scale at UTS to be entrepreneurs. Okay. Uh, I'm intrigued by the, um, the negativity around the word entrepreneur. Yeah, I shouldn't have started with that. But um, <laughs> I think without trying to, we've got an education system in Australia that gives people an ATAR, asks them what they want to study. You don't want to waste the ATAR, so you do the best you can. You do yeah. medicine, you do law. Uh, there is no competitive process to get into being an entrepreneur. We don't see entrepreneurs everywhere being successful as Australians. We yep. don't promote the ones that are being successful uh, as the kind of culture that we are. And so I think it is not a normal career choice, particularly for Australians, despite all the reasons for uh, why I think it should be a normal career choice. And why do you think as a country... We've gone deep quickly, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, right into it. <laughs> and, and why do you think as a country... We don't support the new generation because there is a new generation, you know, the males of the canvas, the James of the show pose. I mean, they're mm. good poster children. And so why do you think that we still potentially talk more about mining or <laughs> well, natural resource magnets versus new entrepreneurs? I, I think the biggest impediment to a great life is a good life. Uh -huh. And in Australia, anyone almost can have a good life. Uh, you can go be educated, get a job, have some kind of career, change a couple of careers along the way, be re-educated, re get another career. Yeah. Historically, the things that drive entrepreneurship in large numbers are financial kind of distress across the whole economy or wars or mm -hmm. mass immigration or all the things that force people to be entrepreneurs. Um, and I think now we're in a situation where things are reasonably good in Australia, but we don't have people starting the Australian companies that will generate the future success for Australia. Yeah. Because of the prosperity that we've had. So. And how do you, and how do you think we change that? You know, is that a is that a societal cultural change? Because it's interesting, and we've had a few people on who 
think the idea of giving something a go is in the Australian psyche. Uh, so it's interesting that your perspective is maybe not. Well, like I, I started a company when I was uh, 16 years old because uh, I didn't know it was hard and I put a bit of software online and people started paying for that software and, and that company then ran for 15 years. I uh, hit a peak of 100 million active users as a, a desktop software product, uh, which was a lot of fun. But I grew up on the floor of my parents' factory <laughs> when they were running their company. Um, and that company ran for you know 25 years and, and that was my experience of what a normal career was. I don't think other people have that uh, yeah. across uh, Australia, I think. The people we see that are being entrepreneurs uh, a tiny fraction of the people who could be entrepreneurs and could mm -hmm. be creating these kind of wonderful global companies that are possible today and weren't possible before. Yeah. You speak about Canva and companies like that. There's thousands of companies that could be like that kind of company mm -hmm. that, that are going to be started somewhere and are probably not going to be started in Australia. Yeah. Uh, we need to do more to make sure those companies are being started here paying taxes here, employing people here, uh, doing all the things that they can do in Australia, um, which is a, a new kind of problem to face, I think. Yeah. And let's maybe get onto that a little bit more in a bit. Can we go back to 16-year-old Murray uh, <laughs> and, and just talk about what inspired you at that moment? And was it growing up, seeing your parents working hard? Yeah, I, I think definitely that normalised it for me as something to do, that you can choose what you do instead of being told what to do mm -hmm. uh, and create a career out of it. Mm -hmm. um, I think people become entrepreneurs either because uh, they're massively motivated to solve a problem in the world and they'll just do whatever it takes to get over all the pain of, of launching something, or they're working on something already and they figure out that, hey, someone might pay for this uh, and it meanders towards a, a growing company. Uh, and I was in the latter category and I think yeah. most people are that uh, the work of putting something together that someone is willing to pay for is difficult. And so if it's uh, not something you're already enjoying working on, I think that's a hard barrier to get over. So I think the more common pathway is this people work on something for fun, then figure out, I can actually do something with this. And then at 16, starting your own company. Talk me through that process. Um, being terrible at everything <laughs> and as I think every entrepreneur is yeah um, every great entrepreneur started out being a terrible one uh, and consistently remained terrible at the new things that they were doing until they figured out what they were doing um, I had no idea what I was doing uh, but as soon as there's money coming in I think you've got a really good reason to start to figure out what you're doing and mm -hmm. there's the internet there's YouTube, there's all these wonderful resources available. Uh, if you're uh, young with time and money coming in, your ability to self-educate along the way is, I think, uh, pretty substantial. And you said 15 years the company ran for? Yeah. And so you were actively running it for that time? Yeah, most of that, yeah. Yeah. And so how did that journey change from 16 to 31? That's quite a, that's quite well, a period. It is. Um, I think this is something that happens a lot. Uh, you see people come in that have been uh, various levels of successful as an entrepreneur and they try to give advice to other entrepreneurs. And if someone asks me, how do you run an ad blocking company 
20 years ago. <laughs> I can tell them exactly how to run that and to scale out to the kind of size that we were and, and make the money that was possible from that. Um, I can't tell people how to run different kinds of companies. I can tell people how uh, what I've seen in different things that I've done after that mm -hmm. um, from little tastes of other people's companies. But I think people have to be very uh, cautious about applying learnings made at a different time in a different kind of company yep. to whatever they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, if there was one theme for the 15 years, it was kind of continuous surprises about what I didn't know. Um, and uh, this learning a whole bunch of stuff and developing a whole lot of stuff that was a lot of fun, but ultimately uh, not that useful today, but inspired me to say, okay, wouldn't it be nice if more people had that experience in yeah. Australia? And if more people had support as a kind of 16 year old trying to start a company here, there was no startup hub back then. There was, there was no accelerator program. So it was tiny amounts of venture capital around the place. And so the last six years of my life have been different things to uh, inspire and support entrepreneurship. And how did your your that fifteen year journey finish? Did you was it an acquisition? Did the firm just change? We went through two acquisition processes. Yep. Uh, each lasted about a year. Each fell through. Mm -hmm. um, so I uh, ended up with a little bit of money, but uh, I, I think the experience of 15 years uh, was worth more than the money was. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then what, what did you do next? So after that, uh, I, I played with a few different things. Uh, the one that people would know is, is probably Startup Muster. It's the largest survey of startups in Australia. That was starting to try and understand what was happening here and realising that there wasn't good data on what was happening and there wasn't much happening to start with. Um, and the thought that if you have good data freely available on an industry, that allows people to understand what's working well, what's not, to design policy, to attract investment, to attract talent, to kind of help that industry grow. So I uh, funded that myself for the first two years uh, and then had uh, Department of Industry, Innovation and Science and Google on board as major supporters for the following three years. Um, and how uh, was it starting that? You, you know, as you say, because probably the time that you started, there's no data available, so... Yeah, there was some terrible data that was being used in different reports. If you... Uh, I won't name anything <laughs> in particular, but I think people don't pay enough to collect data for the kind of reporting that people rely on. So you're always in this cycle of where do you get good data that costs money to get. Yeah. We're not going to pay that, so no one ends up with good data. Um, I think it was just a fun experience to figure out we've got a massive country, we've got a tiny amount of startups. How do you collect a large amount of data from this kind of dispersed audience of people um, in a way that's not as expensive as a traditional approach uh, and is trying out new things to, to reach these people, to build trust and provide value back to the people that want to show what they're actually doing here. Mm -hmm. And and how was it the the journey to bring in uh, supporters on board like Google? Uh, you uh, know, did, was that something that you actively looked for? Is that something that they came to you for? No, definitely actively looking for. <laughs> that was 
uh, a lot of no's along the way. Yeah. Uh, the problem with anything like startup muster is there's a diffuse benefit but a concentrated cost. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's something that normally becomes a government problem, but it's then a question of which part of government has that problem. Uh, and everyone thinks it's someone else's problem. So that it's there's a reason that kind of thing doesn't tend to get off the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it was just wonderful to see the support that Google uh, in particular as a, a first supporter uh, was willing to put towards it. Yep. And then from there you went to be CEO of Fishburners, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was on the board of Fishburners. Uh, it needed a new CEO. I said, OK, I'll be interim CEO for a couple of months until we find <laughs> someone else. And three years later, I said, that's enough. I need to move on and do something else. Um, but we grew that from 100 desks in Ultimo to uh, 750 desks in uh, Sydney CBD, Shanghai and Brisbane. And that was beautiful. That was uh, an experience of... Uh, we had 506 startups start there in the three years. Wow. And I thoroughly convinced myself you can't pick who's going to do well and who won't, uh, especially with early stage startups. They can walk out the door, run into someone, completely change what they're doing, or you can just be completely wrong. Uh, and something that you don't see as potential ends up being a wonderful idea uh, that was wonderful all along. <laughs> um, but that uh, was this an incredibly special experience to be able to design something and build something that was able to help so many people kind of find people like themselves, yep. share what they can share, attract what they can attract as a group, uh, and uh, see the kind of successes that are coming out of there now. That feels like a really emotional slash fulfilling experience for you. Yeah, it yeah. was. Um, and um, I think there's a special thing that happens if you have a whole bunch of people that are working on companies, any of which can be big relatively quickly. Yep. So they're aiming for large markets and they're using technology to be scalable in how they do it. I think that breeds collaboration in a way that doesn't happen elsewhere because mm -hmm. I think in the back of your mind you think, I'm going to help that person out because someone in this group of people is going to do something amazing and I just want to be part of that. And uh, the human reciprocity thing uh, is part of it, but I think there's also an extra collaboration that happens when you're working in high potential uh, groups of people. Yeah. Um, and it was nice to see not just the support for each other, but also the support for people that weren't working out. Uh, there was one company that was made up of 13 different companies that came together uh, <laughs> because it's a, a great safety net uh, for ambitious entrepreneurs to be able mm -hmm. to say, if my thing doesn't work out, I'm surrounded by people that are hiring and looking for people that are willing to put up with a startup environment. Um, and plus being able to solve your own talent problems if your company is growing. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing that happens in these startup spaces. And, and then from there you went to... Uh, after that, I was at uh, Westpac. Yeah. Uh, designed and implemented their accelerator program. Fueled. Fueled. Yeah. Uh, which was a data-focused program. Uh, basically, how uh, do you design an accelerator program that's focused on enabling companies that are enabled by data? Mm -hmm. uh, and that was, again, a huge amount of fun uh, to start to explore. What do those companies look like? What are the unique yeah. kind of enabling features? And how do you design a program that? attracts the best and uh, gives the support that it can to the best. Uh, and what was it like moving from the community-based world of Fishburners to a corporate-based world like Westpac? 
It feels like a, a shift. No, so, no, 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 no. No. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I don't want... <laughs> no difference whatsoever. Yeah. Um, it was... Uh, uh, it, part of the reason I took that on was I wanted to know what that was like, uh, to be in a, Australia's oldest company, 200 years old, uh, 50,000 people, and an organisation that is very, very good at being a bank, which is what you want from a bank. Uh, <laughs> I want to put my money in somewhere where I know there's 10 layers gonna, of yeah. people <laughs> taking care of it. Um, but I think that in the same way as any large company gets in the way of uh, things that might be helpful. Uh, so it was a, a huge learning experience. Uh, I think uh, what we came out with in the end, I'm very proud of as a program. Uh, the companies that came through through that, I'm incredibly proud of as yeah. well, uh, just to be able to work with people like that. And uh, it kind of uh, awakened in me an awareness of uh, the good things about large companies like that as well. And then from there you went to UTS. Yes. So uh, again, you thought you'd have an absolute shift yeah. from corporate world to academia. Uh, it's It's been interesting. The last six years has been effectively finding bigger and bigger levers to drive entrepreneurship in mm -hmm. Australia. Um, I, Startup Muster was fantastic at understanding what's going on and helping raise awareness. Fishburners was incredible as a kind of feet on the ground. How do you provide space that brings everyone together and inspires and supports people like that? Uh, Westpac was good to understand how can large companies in Australia start to be uh, better involved in supporting and uh, working with opportunities that they might be able to work with uh, for mutual benefit. And UTS now is uh, the biggest lever I've found so far to have 45,000 students uh, on a campus studying mostly young, uh, intelligent, uh, surprisingly hardworking, uh, <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> entrepreneurial, and this incredibly um, kind of ambitious and uh, receptive to the idea that you don't have to this go out and look for a graduate position. You can just start something now, uh, create a position for yourself, create a finish. Yeah, exactly. For other people, uh, create the change you want to see in the world. Um, be your own boss, work your own schedule, uh, and kind of have a, a way of working that makes more sense today than I think it's ever made before. And do you see students coming in uh, when they start uh, at UTS thinking like that, or is is that, is that your role, to open the doors to that possibility? Honestly, I think I've got quite an easy job at UTS <laughs> because I think the student body we have is naturally quite entrepreneurial. And you of, think that's a generational thing? Uh, I think it's generational. I think it's also the kind of people that go to UTS, yeah. uh, the, uh, the study options available and the reputation of UTS. Um, we did a, a survey internally. Uh, Forty percent of students wanted to either start their own startup or work with a startup. Uh, that was before I joined. But my work is entirely about trying to get in front of basically all of the students we can reach, uh, mm. inspire them to actually start something, and then support everyone that starts something to continue what they've started and grow what they've started as well. So. Uh, we shut down a couple of accelerator programs that we were running, mm -hmm. uh, and which were fantastic programs but serviced a small number of people, and built this model around what does it look like to get a lot of people started and help a lot of people continue instead. Yeah. Uh, and we're now 
supporting 330-odd uh, uh, student-launched startups. Is uh, that on campus? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's about 700 people. Wow. Um, and... Uh, Who are currently studying or post-grads and uh, left and come back for support? So uh, about half of those are current students. Yeah. And uh, so it's a, a mix of undergrad and postgrad. Yeah. Uh, different researchers, um, but it's uh, an average age of 27, uh, which is wonderful. I've, I've never seen a group of people that work as hard as this group of people. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to compare them to uh, the kind of Fishburners cohort. Fishburners yeah. people worked incredibly hard. Students at UTS work harder. <laughs> I'm sorry to say it, but they do. Um, they have more original ideas. They mm. haven't had a kind of career of being forced to think in certain ways or, or being beaten down and, and uh, losing the confidence that young people have um, and a kind of optimism about the change they can make in the world as well. It's uh, an incredible group of people to be able to work with in this space. And interesting you talk about they haven't been beat down or <laughs> and 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 what, what i mean it, it's interesting because it, our, our business 72 and sunny is born on a spirit of optimism and positivity uh, and collaboration trying to creatively uh change and drive growth in companies hmm. uh but it's interesting do you think corporate culture is the enemy of that optimism and positivity yes or is enemy, too, <laughs> enemy enemy might be too strong a word i i think it uh i think it Maybe not that specifically, but I think mm. companies are built to do things, specific things, better and better over time. Yep. And you build teams and structures and processes and everything else that this make you more efficient at doing particular things. And that's fine, but that it's hard to be optimistic about getting better at doing something. Yeah. Uh, the world of uh, what can you make in the world that doesn't exist currently yep. and how can you create a company that is the kind of company you want to create uh, that enables that to be created. I think that drives optimism in people naturally. Um, you've never seen someone happier uh, than a person who has just finished uh, their Kickstarter campaign or is partway through it and things are going well, or they've just closed that investment round, or they've just secured their big customer, first big customer. That look on their face uh, where you know they're having the time of their lives and not every day is going to be like that, but you don't see that look on the face of someone inside a, a more traditional large company. Yeah. And, and what do you think's driving that generation? Is it a financial win? Is it a purpose and a desire to change something in the world? Yeah, I, I think there's more... I think it's easy, easy to say that there's more uh, purpose-driven people mm -hmm. around the place today. Um, I'd like to think I was purpose-driven when I was young as well. <laughs> I think most people would. Um, but I think that it's easier than ever to actually do something about it today. And it's the opportunities are larger than they've ever been before as well. So I think those two dynamics, uh, which are also increasing uh, in, in their effect, are making it make more and more sense for people to actually do something about the passion that they have. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, that there must be a long history of young people being motivated to change the world. But now, but now they can. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You can reach any customer in the world from a laptop in Ultimo uh, and create something by yourself or with a small number of people that can actually change the world. So 
I think that is why we're seeing more people actually doing it. Yeah. And and then do you see, let's jump back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, um, how as a country we're supporting that uh, generation. So the ecosystem, the startup ecosystem here, uh, your view on the start, startup ecosystem here, your view on how we fare as a um, country and the government in supporting uh, growth. Just interested to hear you talk about that. It's It's hard because... I think there's a, there's a small amount of activity. If you look at the number of scalable tech startups in Australia, there's a few thousand of them. People have different estimates. The Startup Muster estimate with Data61 was about one and a half thousand across Australia. Mm -hmm. So it's not like there's a huge number of people out there that are uh, raising their hand and saying, uh, we need more support or, uh, you know, uh, represent us, uh, member of parliament. What we have instead is a kind of potential for that to exist uh, if someone wants it to exist. And to be honest, I think a lack of uh, actual action to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So it's, that's an economic development problem. That's a uh, kind of making something exist that isn't asking to exist currently, but yeah. has the potential to um, create wonderful impact for Australia. Yeah. Um, I have to be careful because sometimes yes. I, I sound like Chicken Little uh, and I know being chicken little is not productive. That guy that says uh, every taxi driver, every bus driver, every courier, every person working on a farm, every person in a mine, every person in professional services, every person in the banks is going to be unemployed in 10 years doesn't change anyone's behaviour. That person just gives people... Uh, uh, annoys people <laughs> and doesn't change behaviour. Yeah. So I think... You're right, I think there's a more positive way to look at things that instead of saying that, if you say, yeah, your career might not exist in a couple of years' time, but here's a building, uh, the Sydney Startup Hub, with uh, at last count about 3,000 people that are actively using it mm -hmm. in terms of access cards that are active, all going out there and, and trying to create something that doesn't exist at the moment, bringing a diversity of skills and approaches and everything else you can do that. Uh, that person with a PhD driving a taxi, there's no reason uh, they can't spend a small amount of their time exploring what's possible there uh, instead of this waiting for something bad to happen. Yeah. Um, so to focus on things being easier than ever, the potential being higher than ever, more support being available than ever, more venture capital in Australia being av available than ever, and this creating what you want to see in the world. Mm -hmm. um, I'd, I'd challenge anyone in any space, wherever you are listening to this podcast, <laughs> look around the room and try and find something that was not created by an entrepreneur yep. or some kind of entrepreneurial activity. It's generally quite hard. Uh, and uh, I think entrepreneurs can change the world, can create the world. And if that sounds like the kind of person that you are, that you mm -hmm. want to actually make something uh, that has meaning in the world, uh, then you are able to do it. I think entrepreneurship is not a big complicated thing or, or uh, a lot of the negative kind of things that people associate with it. Entrepreneurship is deciding what you work on for yourself instead of being told what to work on for someone <laughs> else. And anyone can do that. And then when you talk about your chicken little... <laughs> moment. 
And and that's a rally against automation uh, and change yep. of our work in society. It's interesting. Uh, we have a mission. It's a global mission to uh, expand and diversify the creative class. Uh, because when you look at, I think there's a stat, and this was when I was based in the US, in 10 years time, uh, so my uh, my eldest, he's nine years old, uh, so when he's ready to enter whatever the workforce is in 10 years time, uh, 40% of the jobs that are available today just won't exist. Uh, 70% of the jobs that will be available, uh, we don't even know what they're going to be yet. Uh, but the one guiding principle potentially to help uh, equip the next generation is creative thinking. Because uh, in a world of automization, that's maybe our last hope. Uh, and it's, it's, it's really interesting just hearing you talk about the chicken little moment. I just wanted to pick up on it. Because I do think, you know, that idea of trying to encourage creative thinking and problem solving in a way that does drive entrepreneurship uh, I, I do believe it's the only weapon that we can uh, <laughs> equip the next generation with. So maybe we should talk about that for a little bit. I, I find that an interesting discussion. The question is, how do you do it? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think uh, what we expose young people to is set up to drive them into things like that. No, I, don't, I, I mean, look, we have an office up in Singapore. Uh, and when you look at the education system up there, I think by the age of five, and, and there's a really good tech TED talk on it, uh, by the age of five, uh, creativity is just hammered out of children hmm. uh, because there's a drive up there for engineering, uh, for finance. Uh, so all success uh, is driven against those industries. Uh, so it's a, I think it's a really interesting discussion. Uh, and I look at certain companies around the world and how they're trying to drive a startup ecosystem, the Estonias of the world. But also when you start to look at what they're doing in their schooling system, it's to try and, and help children just be children for a little bit longer and, <laughs> and allow them to be a little bit more creative in how they think. Uh, and that doesn't mean everyone needs to be an artist or a musician. It just means think creatively about every problem that comes your way. And I, I actually think that's why you know, when you talk about entrepreneurship as a semi-dirty word, I actually like when you put the word creative creativity in front of entrepreneurship. So being a creative entrepreneur, yeah. uh, I think, is that spirit of just every day is different. Uh, today's challenge is tomorrow's opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, I'm intrigued by especially where you are in the latter stages of academia, uh, intrigued by how the country can help the early stages and and create more curious, creative children and people. I think we just need to expose people. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing a lot of work in understanding what's happening in high schools uh, when people are starting to choose the subjects and, and work towards a particular career path. Um, and I think what's happening there is a, a lot of different providers of entrepreneurial education uh, who run programs of different kinds. And those programs are fantastic, mm -hmm. but the demand is not there for those programs. There's no kind of move from the students to say, we want someone to come out and teach us about entrepreneurship. Um, or even uh, from what I've seen uh, from the teachers themselves. Uh, I think what is needed is some kind of sex ed equivalent, mm -hmm. uh, where it's not trying to teach people how to do something, but it's teaching you what you need to know for decisions you're about to make in the future. 
saying, you know, this percentage of people are able to do this and the success rate looks like this and here are some examples of things that you need to be aware of. As you navigate your choices um, as a 16-year-old, I think if we start to make it more obvious to people that this is an option, um, we get around the problem of this not being seen everywhere as a normal thing. If, yeah. if it were seen as a normal thing everywhere around the place, uh, I don't think we would have this problem. I, I remember in a trip to Israel uh, asking someone how they encourage people to be entrepreneurs and obviously the answer is we don't. Uh, they, <laughs> they turn up as entrepreneurs. Um, and there's a lot of history and, and reasons for that being the case, but I think once it happens, it's a sticky thing that this becomes a normal thing. Uh, the children of entrepreneurs become entrepreneurs and, yeah. and things snowball from there. But I think to manufacture it, uh, we need to do something to change what young people see as a career, uh, to educate them about what they could be doing, to show them more and more examples and over-index on the success stories that are doing amazing things so yep. that they can see, here's someone like myself that did something I can do and has a resu result that I want to have. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, I'm going to do that thing instead of what I was planning. And why do you, just picking up on that last point, why do you think mainstream media doesn't support the unicorns and celebrate the successes? Because, uh, again, having worked in the US for six years, you know, the Jack Dorsey, Zuckerberg, they're household names. Hmm. Uh, and it's interesting that maybe the mainstream media here doesn't celebrate as much. Why do you think that is? Well... I'd, I'd ask a different question, which is, are young people paying attention to mainstream media? Uh, which I think is a problem. If if you're watching what a 16-year-old is looking at on Instagram, it's yeah. not going to be um, the AFR. It's going to be, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever influencer they're following. Yeah. And it's not going to be uh, Melanie Perkins or, yeah. uh, you know, success stories that are here. Um, so I think... I'm not quite sure what to do with that, um, yep. but I think uh, more support from mainstream media would be good, but yes. I think there's a bigger problem. But that's problem. not the channel. Yeah. 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 And then different different question. Uh, where do you look for inspiration? Uh, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's literally every day there's people walking in with wonderful ideas and and I think everyone listening as well has a, a list of ideas, things they've put away for later. Um, the problem I don't think is ideas. The problem is um, putting the effort behind something and being being enthusiastic enough about something and having the time and space and, and desire to actually make something out of the inspiration that you have. Um, I think the busier people are, the less open to new opportunities they are mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I find this in myself sometimes that as I get busier, I become very efficient at the things that I really need to do um, and completely stop doing all the things that create wonderful opportunities to try new things. So I think making conscious kind of space and time uh, for new opportunities is important. How do you do that? This by literally saying, I will do this thing. Uh, that is not the most important <laughs> thing that uh, I could be doing, but might lead to something wonderful. I think you can have an idea of, of what things might end up being wonderful if that event is full of people that uh, work in an area that find interesting or uh, reading that thing might expose you to some ideas that could be useful. Um, but this exposing yourself to things that are not the most important thing, uh, but you think have a good chance of finding the next important thing mm -hmm. is, is the important thing. 
And then how do you find balance between the professional and personal life? Uh, Apologising a lot. <laughs> I've got a beautiful uh, one-year-old and three-year-old oh, wow. uh, daughter and son Yeah, um, and they're the, the best things I've ever created uh, or had a part in creating <laughs> And uh, but they drive me to do what I do now because uh, this, much like yourself you yeah. think about 20 years time what are they going to be studying what are they going to be doing and it's a little bit worrying um, I think we're in this world now that's challenging enough as it is. Uh, I remember when I finished at Fishburners, I did uh, 106 meetings in four weeks <laughs> with uh, futurists and kind of uh, industry leaders of different types. And I asked them all, how do you feel about the future of work in Australia? And I, I did that because having seen that number of startups, they're all creating exports and investments uh, Maybe they're creating fractional employment marketplaces, uh, but they're not creating a lot of jobs directly. And they're disrupting companies that do create a lot of jobs or have a lot of jobs. And you look at that and think, okay, where is the kind of millions of jobs coming from in future uh, that we might need if uh, enough large companies go away or large employers? Um, and in those meetings, Nobody was concerned about the future of work, but everyone had a different reason for why they weren't concerned. <laughs> and you start to figure out that this, humans are not good at dealing with something that's 10 plus years away. Think global warming, think yeah. everything else. Until it affects you directly, you're not gonna do anything about it. And in having children, I think suddenly you're like, okay, this now does affect me directly yeah. of what are they gonna be doing in 20 years uh, or 40 years uh, and how as someone who cares about your kids, are you doing what you can to make sure they're prepared and ideally Australia ends up being the kind of place where they can have a job and a meaningful job uh, in a safe, nice place. Do you think we're at an inflection point as a country to provide that? I, I think the opportunity to do that has never been uh, more apparent than it is today. So. We've got the highest per capita savings in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got the highest per capita gambling rate in the world. <laughs> I think uh, that's, that's a nice to have. Uh, we've got a stable business environment. Uh, we've got uh, access to markets, uh, some of the best education in the world. And I think with a few things combined, uh, we might not be the best place in the world to be an entrepreneur. But I think we can be the safest place to be an entrepreneur and potentially the nicest place to be an entrepreneur yep. as well, which I think starts to become more meaning meaningful when you look at different parts of the world that are less stable than Australia is, that are less nice to live in than Australia is. If you're going to work really hard, uh, do something uh, that's global, uh, that you can do from anywhere, why not do it somewhere nice? Uh, somewhere you can raise your kids well, somewhere that you'll be safe and, and have some idea of what's coming up. And I think Australia has the best case for that of any country in the world. And is that a case that we're making, you think? No. Because it's, it's, <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting, the picture you paint and all the positives that you just talked about, but again, um, clearly, it's clear you have a passion for data and you look at, I, I think, recent stats are... We're, what, the 18th most innovative country in the world, and we just dropped down behind, I think, Iceland. 
Mm. Uh, so we're going backwards. And But the picture you paint is a great utopia to run towards to. Yeah. And and so it, it feels really interesting that we are at this inflection point where for some reason we are going backwards, for some reason we aren't supporting the next generation, but in your mind there's never been a better time to tell the story that this is the place to believe in. I think yes, but I think we're telling the wrong story. Yeah. So uh, I think Australia is what it is. But in being what it is, uh, the natural resources it has, the agricultural exports that it has and all the other kind of money that's coming into the country, that creates an opportunity for smart people who are entrepreneurial and maybe are overseas at the moment or in Australia and not doing it yet to say, hang on, uh, maybe this is the right place to be doing this uh, and to do it uh, in the wonderful environment that we have. So I think we have the potential to be that. Yeah if we tell that story well enough and if we support Australians, young Australians in particular, to understand the opportunity they now have. Yeah. And then I'm going to ask a final question because I've, I've taken up too much. I could keep taking up a lot of your time. I think it's this a really fascinating, likewise. It's a really good conversation. Uh, but if you had more time in your life, what would you do with it? Oh. Which is another big <laughs> topic for, to throw uh, at your mind. I've asked... Uh, a few thousand people, if they could have anything in the world, what would it be? And the most common thing that anyone says is they want more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I spoke with someone the other day that for the first time ever said they would like to prioritise their time better. <laughs> and I thought, you're a genius. Uh, you are actually switched on to what, how the world actually works. Yeah. I think I wouldn't ask for more time, uh, but I would love to spend more time with my kids uh, and helping new initiatives get off the ground that are inspiring and supporting entrepreneurship in Australia. Um, I think there is such a huge untapped potential in this country Mm -hmm. uh, and just in humans in general uh, that, like I think companies fail but no entrepreneur fails to get something from being an entrepreneur. Yeah. You can uh, learn things uh, you wouldn't learn any other way. You can kind of prove your own resilience. You can prepare yourself better for other things. It never looks bad on a resume to say, I ran this company for a couple of years and it didn't work out. I think more people just need to be willing to take that on uh, so that we can have those uh, smaller number of companies that end up creating new wonderful opportunities for everyone else to go into um so and and i'm gonna ask another question i lied that wasn't my last question (laughs) it was just you said something that i thought was really interesting which you know the thing that drives you or i'm guessing that drives you is that ability as you say to spend more time with children but that's just to have more life uh and so do you think as a futurist who's spoken to lots of people that uh, working life is going to change that dramatic, dramatically to allow us to do that. And the reason I asked that question is I, I read an article on the way here this morning uh, around uh, 20 changes uh, or things that are going to happen in the world in the next 10 years. And it felt like there was work was probably going to be the biggest shift. Uh, you know, there seems to be a real shift with this new generation you talk about coming into uh, working life. The idea that technology allows geography to be agnostic, you can work from anywhere. 
Uh, it does feel like we're going through, what would that be, the fifth industrial revolution? Mm. Uh, and I'm really intrigued by that. And even in our company, in our own small way, you know, we've, we've made a shift. We moved our office to Manly. Uh, and we did that because why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it allows our people, if they have a block in their day or they want to go out for a conversation, they can do it on the beach. Hmm. And, and I find that really fulfilling to see creatively how people then come back into the office when they've been inspired by that in their day. Uh, we also, this was something we did in the US maybe three years ago, uh, we gave everybody in the company unlimited holidays. Uh, and so there's a, it's a trust-based system, obviously. <laughs> uh, we don't have people disappearing for 320 yeah, days a year. Did anyone come back? Yeah. <laughs> I'm still on holiday. Okay. <laughs> uh, but again, that for us was another shift uh, to allow people to work in a different way. We've just moved to uh, a three-day-in-the-office working week. We call them collaboration days. Uh, so Monday, Wednesday, Friday, be in the office to collaborate. Tuesday, Thursday be wherever to be most accountable to deliver what you need to deliver. And so I'm really intrigued by how business and corporate world is going to allow people to do what you want, which is have more life. Uh, and do you see people being able to get there, humans being able to cope with that? I, I don't think we will, because I think every time we have technology that allows us to be more efficient, we just go, great, we've got all this efficiency, I'm going to enjoy that rather than work less. Yeah. So I think the incentives that drive you to want new things and better life are stronger than the incentives to work less. Um, so I think we'll be doing different kinds of work in different kinds of places. Yeah. Um, but I think we're still going to be uh, talking about... We'll be working uh, harder and more, just in a different way. Yeah, talking about wanting to spend more time with the kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's mind-blowing, isn't it? Mm, it's, but I think that's... Uh, if, if history of humanity has uh, been consistent with anything, it's uh, we'll find a way to work as hard <laughs> to, or harder than we have before. Just to keep fucking up our lives. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a great way to, great way to end the conversation. Um, well, look, I, I really enjoyed that, and thank you for coming in. It's It's been a pleasure. And it, for anyone listening, uh, just think about what you're doing. Think at the end of your life, what you're going to want to look back on uh, and what you're going to want to have created and, and the legacy you want to leave. Are you happy doing what you're doing at the moment? Um, or do you want to see what you can do uh, to prove yourself to uh, create something that matters? Uh, be your own boss, set your own schedule uh, and uh, make something really cool. Um, if that sounds like you, just, just do it, get on with it. Awesome. Because <laughs> we're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to die sooner than you think. Um, and uh, it's just a wonderful thing, that the happiness that I see in so many people that are doing what they want to do instead of what other people are telling them to do is a really powerful thing, and I, I hope that more people do it. Great way to finish. Thank you for your time, mate. Up next, we have James Tynan, CEO of Startmate. 